Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Jade. And in this episode, we'll be discussing the power of photography with the help of two guests, Dr. Hannah Frith and Laura Dodsworth. Excellent. Though this is an intriguing one, Jade. Can you explain a little bit more about what we mean by the power of photography? Yeah, yeah. Good point, Nadia. So in this episode, the power of photography alludes to how photography can be used both in appearance research and also broader outside to the general public and how photography in itself can be used as a tool to campaign and promote positivity towards visible differences, more specifically. Nice. And while this episode is mainly focused on visible difference and visible differences, probably a good time to link back to episode 45, where we talk about photography and representation in advertising. Yeah, definitely. So there's lots of ways that photography can be used as a powerful tool, but we have yet to cover its power and applicability, really, um, in the world of appearance research and also visible differences, as we're going to do today. Yes, and to any of our new listeners, what we mean by visible difference is a difference in appearance, which may be uh, as a result of a range of congenital conditions, um, such as a cleft lip and palate, different illnesses, injuries or treatments such as surgery. Yeah, exactly. And this can range from something that someone is born with, like a cleft lip or palate, for example, mm-hmm. also to something like surgery for, or even treatment like chemotherapy, which is actually what Hannah will be discussing later on in the episode. So mm-hmm. there, are, there are many ways, and it goes beyond those examples, that people mm-hmm. can have a visible difference. Yeah, great. Exactly. And this is one reason why photography is such an important tool to give us platforms and ownership to represent the range of visible differences uh, that people can have. Yeah, it is indeed. Um, But let's also not get ahead of ourselves because we do have two wonderful guests on this episode who can help us answer exactly why it's important. Good point. And on that note, I think we should jump straight in and introduce our first guest. Definitely. So our first guest is Dr. Hannah Frith. Hannah has very recently taken up a new post at the University of Surrey and identifies as a critical social psychologist. Hannah has previously done research using visual methods like photographs, for example, and therefore is perfect to help us Mm. on this topic. So, side note, Hannah also does research regarding body image during sex. Oh, interesting. I know, right? Mm. Yeah, I think it sounds like another great episode idea to me. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, Great, I'm glad (laughs) you were on the same page. Um, So yeah, do let us know, listeners, if you're interested in an episode on sex and body Um, Yeah, so I do digress there. (laughs) Um, I got the opportunity to speak to Hannah on the topic of using photography and appearance research. Great, I look forward to hearing. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Hi. So we've got a few questions for you today. And I kind of just want to start by getting you to firstly begin describing some of the ways that you've used photographs in appearance research before. Okay, so um, I used photos in a project with my colleague Diana Harcourt, which was all about exploring women's experiences of appearance change during cancer and chemotherapy treatment. So these were women who had breast cancer, 
And in this case, the treatment often takes place over a number of months. So we were interested in trying to chart experiences over time. So perhaps as different appearance changes kick in over the course of treatment, or because the ways in which women respond to and make sense of these changes might also alter over time. So we were trying to get, or we were puzzling about how we might get information about that process over time. But at the same time, we were also mindful that this is a really difficult time for women and at times they might feel very unwell and be very poorly. Mm -hmm. So we didn't want to place an, a lot of additional burden onto our research participants by, for example, having lots of repeated interviews over the course of treatment. So we were trying to kind of think of what kind of a method could we use that might capture experiences over time, but not be too invasive and too difficult for people to engage in. Yeah. So kind of weighing all those things up, we decided to use photos and photos might seem like a bit of an odd choice for research about appearance because often we're interested in people's that were you know, we're interested in people's difficulties around their appearance, things that they find problematic or difficult to navigate. So you might think that photos are a bit of an odd choice in that context. Um, but, but methodologically, there's some really good reasons to use them. And also, we kind of, we thought that having a visual element to the research would keep that focus on appearance, whereas there might be lots of things that women are experiencing in relation to cancer and chemotherapy treatment. So we thought maybe having a visual method would keep help keep that focus. Yeah, definitely. I think that's an interesting point. There's using the benefits of using photographs in, in appearance research that you, you highlight the appearance-related element, I suppose, don't you? Um, yeah. Do you think there's any other benefits as well of using photographs in appearance research, aside from, like we mentioned, focusing on appearance itself? Um, yeah, I think photos, if, if you're looking to try and chart something over time, which is what we were doing, photos are excellent for doing that because they're very evocative and really good prompts for memory. So this is often how we use photographs in kind of day-to-day -day life, isn't it? We take a photo of a symbolic moment and then years later when we look back at that photo, we're kind of transported back in time to that moment. Mm -hmm. And because the photos are so evocative, they've got lots of detail in them often, but it's it's not just that. They seem to kind of capture a particular set of feelings or emotions at the time or when we look back at them we feel particular emotions and feelings and make sense of it from where we are in the present looking back so so kind of methodologically they're a really good way of kind of charting change over time so for appearance researchers who are interested in change over time perhaps changes in people's literal um, physical appearance or maybe changes in the way that people cope and respond to their appearance over time um, I think photos are a really good way of trying to get some of that kind of moving forward and backwards in time helps people to have a kind of concrete anchor to help them tell those narratives yeah definitely and like you said like your perception of your body can change over time perhaps and within moments too so looking back in those 
that those photographs can help you, like you said, transport yourself back into a time when you might have perceived your body in a different way to what exactly. you do now. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I was looking through some photos with a friend of mine um, a month or so ago. Um, she got all her albums out and was having a look through them. And uh, she looked at one of her photographs and said, look, look how great I look. Look how gorgeous I look. You know, I look so I look so young. I look so fresh. And she said, if only I had realized that at the time. You know, at the time, I didn't feel like that about my appearance and about my body. But looking at it now, I can see that I, actually I was, you know, beautiful and gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> what a difference it would have made to me if I'd have known that at the time. So, yeah. you know, we kind of do that work in, in our day-to-day lives. So when you're asking people to do that as research participants, in some ways you're asking them to engage in quite a familiar activity um, which for some people can be reassuring because it's not something that's so totally different from their usual experience. Yeah, no, I think those are really good points. And to to bring back to the point that you made about almost comparing yourself to previous images of yourself, do you think that that might have any drawbacks or limitations, perhaps? Well, sure. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so because photos are very evocative, very emotionally evocative, um, that's, that sort of comparison, of course, can be very painful for people and people can experience a sense of a loss or disappointment um, yeah. when, when looking back or, you know, it's not necessarily a positive experience to be confronted by images of ourselves from from past moments in our lives so yes I mean that's the it's a kind of double-edged sword isn't it you know they're very evocative so you get very rich um narratives when you're talking to people but they can also be very painful or difficult narratives and and people can come to realizations in that moment that maybe they haven't had before um and those realizations can be difficult or painful or just new so so kind of ethically managing some of those difficulties in a research situation um, is part of the challenge of using these kinds of methods, I guess. Yeah, for sure, being mindful of the fact that it can be confronting in, in a powerful way, um, perhaps, mm. and quite empowering, but that, that could be quite difficult for participants, for sure. I'm sure that yeah. there's lots of considerations there. And yeah. I think as well, um, looking forward into the future or ahead, perhaps, how do you think appearance researchers could be using photographs or even some other visual methods in, in the future in their research? Well, one of the things that we were interested in with our project was the way that people might use um, images and photographs symbolically. So often when we think about photos, we think about them as being kind of concrete records of events. Yeah. Um, and some, and indeed they often are, um, but you don't have to use photos in that way. And I think people are getting more used to the idea that photographs don't necessarily have to represent reality, that you can take a photograph of something to symbolically represent a particular feeling or experience. Um, you know, for some some participants in research that might be more difficult than others some people are much more open to or more experienced in representing their experiences in that way 
So I would say that appearance researchers sometimes feel a bit put off by visual methods, particularly photographs, because they think that um, it will be too difficult for participants or maybe the focus is too much on the physical body and the physical appearance. Um, but I, I think you can use photographs in different ways that they, they don't, you don't have to ha take pictures of yourself when you take pictures to represent your experience. So in our research on chemotherapy and cancer, for example, um, some participants were in the photos and charted changes in their appearance. Mm -hmm. And some participants were not in their photos and took photos of um, things which represented their experience. But I'll give you an example. Um, one of our participants took a photo of a blank wall. And when I first looked at this photo, I thought it was, uh, you know, something where they maybe had their thumb accidentally over the lens oh, yeah. or something. It was just, <laughs> yeah. a, just a blank wall. I thought maybe it was a mistake. But no, they had taken that photo very deliberately to represent the kind of um, boredom and emptiness um, that they experienced waiting for life to begin again, if you like, after treatment. So that kind of sense of being in limbo. Ooh, um, so it was very, very powerful image. Um, and were, but, were participants, sorry, given the freedom to, like when they were explained about taking yeah. pictures, they were told you can take pictures of anything just to document. That was kind of what they were explained. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. We thought it was important um, that that participants were in control of the images that they produced, that they had um, quite free reign in what to produce. So we didn't want to insist that people took pictures of themselves, for example, partly because we felt that that probably wasn't necessary for us. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't need to know exactly what change in appearance had occurred in order to understand their experience of it and because we thought that some people would find that difficult and that there might be other aspects of their experience that might be better represented in other ways. Um, so, yeah, we try to give people quite free reign so that, you know, sometimes you don't want to have your photo taken, especially if you feel like you're not looking um, your best or if or if you're you're avoiding engaging with your appearance mm -hmm. you know you don't want to be forced to take a photo of it so it was really important that our participants could use photographs in that more sort of symbolic way yeah and I suppose it's quite interesting when you give them freedom of choice with what they choose to picture um take pictures of sorry that whether they decide to take pictures of themselves or not is quite an interesting aspect as well um, mm. whether they want to put themselves in the image or feel like they want to take a step back and making that their choice is an interesting thing to capture in itself. Yes, and um, I have to say we were astonished by the variety of photographs <laughs> that came back in our research. I mean, some of them you perhaps could have predicted, so there were photos of... Um, things like hairbrushes or um, people having their head shaved mm -hmm. um, or clumps of hair, which you might expect in this kind of study. But there were also photos of blank walls, a set of um, miniature 
planes, like Airfix aeroplanes. Um, trying to think of some of the others. A really nice sunset. Oh, okay. Pictures of people's gardens. You know, <laughs> a whole yeah. range of things. <laughs> exactly, and I think that's the thing about um, bodies. We are in part of our environments as well as in our own bodies, our, in ourselves. So it's quite interesting that people capture a range of aspects from their day-to-day lives. Yeah, and I think sometimes we have particular ways of talking about appearance and bodies which are kind of habitual and and also sometimes socially acceptable. And I think when you use methods that kind of get around some of those normal ways of talking or habitual ways of talking about the body, you end up with more interesting insights because you're kind of getting around people's rehearsed stories, if you like, or the stories that they tell themselves every day. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, yeah, it's interesting. I've not really considered too much before using photography and appearance and and research in general. But I think, yeah, it's like you said, it's a different way of eliciting different emotions regarding the body and your the environment. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, not everybody will like it, you know, like every method. Some people were particularly attracted to taking part in this research because it was using photos they thought that would be fun and interesting some of them took lots of photographs in their everyday life anyway and were interested in photography as a kind of hobby mm-hmm. um and others weren't so you know and there will be some people who will have decided not to take part because it was using photographs so you know no one method will appeal to everybody but something to bear in mind yeah and it's like you say it's a different way of approaching this topic which I think is a very useful way Mm. methodologically to elicit different things I suppose in general Mm. um Mm. no that's great so I've got one more question for you Hannah Mm -hmm. which is a bit left field um so we ask every single guest that's on the podcast um which you may have heard before but it's a cake question about what cake you might bring to our coffee morning which we have here at car every thursday morning um or it doesn't have to be a cake by the way it could be a sweet good or any other item um okay that you might bring uh for people of the center for appearance research to divulge in Is there anything you enjoy in particular? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to decide and make up my mind which one. I like <laughs> I'm not that. having trouble identifying one. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, I am a little bit torn between um, a cinnamon swirl pastry um, because I really love cinnamon and it's very warming and always feels very comforting versus um a lemon drizzle cake which is probably my other favorite which is a bit more kind of sparky and zesty to wake us all up so so i i'm gonna say you can have both because i think maybe the the cinnamon (laughs) cinnamon roll more like a winter thing because it's wholesome and then a a lemon drizzle in the summer spring hopefully when we get it I'm maybe just uh, lusting after lemon drizzle cake because it's so miserable outside at the moment. I'm on a <laughs> similar plane. I wouldn't lusting over lemon drizzle cake, I must admit. <laughs> no, those are both great. You, they're both welcome anytime, Hannah. So And, and you, obviously, <laughs> along with the cakes. <laughs> Um, thank you Jade thank you so that's yeah that's all we have time for we really appreciate you coming on and um, thank you for giving up your time and 
telling us about all this interesting aspects of research and photographs. Oh, thanks for having me, Jane. That was great. And it's so useful to consider how photography can be used within research. And I guess the use of photography and research goes broader than just psychology and even research itself. Yeah, definitely. And I'm actually going to use that as a perfect lead into mm-hmm. our next guest. Waste no time here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Look at us being efficient after our like mega long episodes. We're learning. Yeah. We're learning. We like to say we're learning. <laughs> um, so... Our next guest, who has actually used the power of photography and film to promote appearance and diversity on on a broader scale. Nice, so maybe we should introduce our next guest. Sounds like a plan. So yeah, our next guest is Laura Dodsworth. Laura is a photographer, artist and author who likes to tell powerful and moving human stories through these mediums. Um, Laura likes to focus on revealing the untold and taboo um, embodied stories with deeper social political themes Mm. and she's done projects on things like women's vaginas and breasts as well as like male's genitalia and more recently Laura along with Rebecca Lloyd Evans have directed a short film on scars so it's a Tiger Lily production for The Guardian. Laura will explain this new project in even more detail along with other projects she's worked on in the interview though so I'm going to leave it there and we'll just dive straight in. Brilliant. Let's go. Let's go. Diving away. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank Um, you for having me. Great. No, yeah, we're really pleased to have you. So the first question, just to kind of introduce the topic, is what was it that drew you towards, like, photography mostly, and photographing people to tell their personal human stories? Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I think I was drawn towards photography, to be honest, as a bit of an accident. Um, I was actually retraining as a journalist. I was doing a distance learning journalism course when I was living in Paris. Right. And I had loads of time on my hands, so I did a black and white composition course, which was literally just for fun, just to fill the hours. But it was interesting. I was only doing the bare minimum I needed to do on the journalism course, but spending days on little assignments for this amateur photography course. And it was just a revelation to me that actually... That's how I was drawn to communicating through the lens. Um, Of course, my work now, I interview people and I um, create stories from their words. So in a way, I've I've come full circle. I'm a photographer and a writer of sorts. Um, But what drew me to photographing bodies to tell personal stories? Well, I think it's quite hard to unpack that. If I think back to my, my first project which was a photographing breast mm-hmm. that was probably really all about learning how to feel more comfortable in my own skin as a woman so that's that's just where a lot of my artwork comes from my own deep places of tension mm-hmm. or discomfort trying to explore issues that are very personal to me I think really that's what a lot of artists and creators doing it's not always fashionable to talk about it especially for women you know there's an idea that women's work is always autobiographical and that's not as good as men's work but it is the truth there's a lot of personal exploration in my work and I chose breasts because they're uniquely female so they were um, for me a really useful window into exploring what it means to be a woman mm-hmm. which was about this personal exploration that I wanted to make that's just from general body image anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remembering how I felt myself when I grew breasts, this feeling that they projected me into womanhood long before I was a woman. 
and my own complex feelings towards them because as a culture we actually have quite a complex relationship with breasts yeah. and women's bodies so that's where it started it then triggered, it triggered something to me I couldn't have anticipated which was more projects photographing men and their penises and then women and their vulvas and I think I've just out of that developed a practice and an interest in embodied stories using the body yeah. to tell stories which I hope have a personal relevance but also touch on socio-political themes yeah no and I, I like that you talk about the taboo with the photographs and those kind of embodiment stories, which is which is great because it can be quite um, empowering to some degree for for both the person and yourself, I suppose. Yes, I think it is empowering. I think it's empowering on both sides of the lens. I have noticed when I work with people that it can be quite cathartic, quite helpful, quite powerful. There's this pivotal moment when they look at their photograph. Mm. And I've experienced that myself, looking at my own photograph of breasts and also then my vulva, especially my vulva, actually. It did trigger memories and thoughts I couldn't have anticipated because I, I think that images are powerful. Yeah. They, they, have a, they provoke a response, but the written word or the spoken word doesn't. Yeah, definitely. And I think that touches upon one of the other questions I was going to ask about what do you think the impact is on the people participating um, when they're having pictures taken or video as well um, and how that might impact the relationship that they might have with their bodies like you said quite empowering but is it perhaps sometimes a difficult experience maybe difficult yeah I think it can be I mean my my projects bear reality manhood and womanhood were with a hundred people each mm-hmm. um, and then in other projects smaller numbers of people but that's a lot of people I've worked with and I can get a sense of this I think um well, we're all different. I can't neatly categorise people into boxes, but there are people to whom it ranged from easy, they've done a lot of thinking and a lot of work already, mm-hmm. um, to people who found it difficult or amazing. So some, I think it depends where people are on the scale of, of thinking about about their body or their psychology. Um, if I think about my latest project, Scars, which I'm going to be talking to you about today, yeah. um, there's a, there's a man in that who was born with um, a visible difference, and he's had his whole life, therefore, to think about it. Mm-hmm. So he didn't find taking part difficult at all, and he already, he already knew what he wanted to say in some ways. But people who might have been more recently scarred, or, or it doesn't have to be scarred, thinking about their body in a new way, mm-hmm. they, haven't, they haven't done that thinking and that work. And I think... I have come across people who have found it difficult. It's provoked difficult memories. But I don't think that means negatively difficult. So something can be emotionally difficult, but it's still a positive thing. I think there's a bit of a general trend at the moment. We're supposed to make everything happy, good vibes. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, part of the rich tapestry of life is sometimes we do go through difficult experiences and they shape us. um, uh, They make us. So, yeah, Mm. I would say some people I've worked with have found the process difficult but probably not as many who found it to be enjoyable enjoyably cathartic yeah definitely and I think like you say every journey for every individual is different and it can sometimes be quite confronting but that doesn't have to be in a negative way that can be in quite an empowering way um, for yourself and your relationship with your body but on the note as well like you mentioned with uh, the scars and the scarring video that we want to discuss uh, so you have recently created a film on scarring, discussing the emotional and psychological stories that come with scarring. 
Um, so when you started this project, what did you kind of hope that would come from it? What was your goal? And also, if you could describe it as well, that would be amazing. Yeah, sure. So this is a film that was commissioned by The Guardian. Um, because everyone knows The Guardian is a newspaper, but actually they're commissioning some really interesting short documentaries. So I was very um, happy to be asked to direct a film. So in terms of what I wanted to get out of it, one thing was it was um, a new, interesting, professional creative experience. Yeah. Um, I co-directed it with a um, brilliant director called Rebecca Lloyd-Evans. It's a complete team effort and joint collaboration um, by us. Uh, it was produced by Tiger Lily Films. There's a lot of different people working on it with different ideas about what we want to get out of it. But The Guardian gave us a lot of creative license, to be honest. So when Rebecca and I were thinking about what we wanted to get out of it, we knew there were different, different ways it could go. But we were definitely interested in including people who had very different sorts of scars um, from all different, all different experiences, different walks of life, different ages, different backgrounds, to see what the um, difference is, but all the, also the universal things. What's the commonality between people who have been scarred? Um, didn't quite know how it would take shape till we started. So one thing was when people first started emailing me to ask uh, for more information and to find out about participating, they'd send me pictures of scars. And so that was interesting. I'm, I was the first audience of myself of one um, right. in how I felt about the scars. And some of them I found really simple to look at. Or some of them I found made me feel sympathetic. Um, some of them I found difficult to look at. But then that's because people also send me pictures of operations in progress and all kinds of things, <laughs> along with the scars. And I was interested by my own reactions. And so Rebecca and I talked a lot about reactions. You know, how, how does a scar change somebody? What's the story behind it? What's the experience of scars and how does that change them? But how does how they perceive they look different change their relationships with people in their lives and the world? And then how does the world perceive them differently? So we were quite interested in looking at reactions. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there is a universality, you know, everybody has a scar. There's, there's nobody alive who doesn't have a scar. You know, your, umbil- your, your, uh, your belly button is your first scar, <laughs> scar from your umbilical cord. By the time you die, you will have scars. And so that was, uh, that was something we were interested in as, as well, um, how our scars can have difficult stories behind them, mm-hmm. but they all contribute positively to making us who we are today. Yeah, definitely. I think it's quite interesting as well when you mentioned that everyone uh, will at some point have a scar because um, it's often as well with visible differences how people perceive that to be for them, whether someone, some people just view a scar as like a story, um, some mm. people view it as an identity. Um, yeah. and, and so it's quite interesting how the, the person themselves perceives the scar and also, like you said, how others perceive that too I think it's an interesting dynamic to consider from both ends and it's great that it encompasses that yeah absolutely there's a quote by um Steinbeck I think it's to be alive is to be scarred and and that's true so this is this is something that's common to all of us we will all have different scars whether it's from something that seems innocent like chicken pox or acne which can actually be a you know a huge deal for people right through to war veterans to victims of violence illness, visible differences, wrinkles. Wrinkles are a type of scar, aren't they? You know, we, we all we all carry some scars. Um, and 
what's interesting is that you know you can see somebody and you can judge them but you never know what the story is behind that scar until you ask so one thing Rebecca and I really wanted to do with the film is to help people have more curiosity and empathy and sympathy for scars don't assume you know the story until Mm -hmm. you know everyone's got an interesting human story behind a scar yeah definitely and kind of was that your goal then to like you said um build that story around what scars are and how they are for people and how others perceive them yeah absolutely dealing with reactions our own reactions and the people around us and the the universal themes behind scars the human stories behind schemes but ultimately what i'd really like is when people um see the photography and watch the film that they, they think about what that means. Um, I feel, you know, despite all the work I've done with bodies, it's made me more open-minded and less judgmental to mm-hmm. create this project because I feel I look at scars differently. Um, not just the people who worked in the film, but, you know, other people that we were talking to about being in the film. It means I've looked at a lot of scars and it's made me feel, I think I feel more empathetic and more open-minded. Yeah. Which is nice. I'd like to give that to to other people that watch the film. Definitely. I was just going to say that's great that um, you were able to reflect on that journey and that experience for yourself and see how that might be positive towards others who view it. So um, Mm -hmm. we're really looking forward um, to seeing it. And that is out sometime in March, just for the listeners. Yes, the film will be out in March on um, the Guardian website through Guardian Documentaries. There's also going to be um, a photographic feature in the Guardian Weekend magazine that accompanies it. And then very excitingly, we're exhibiting the photographs with you with Centre for Appearance Research later in the year too. Yes, and yeah, we're really excited, like I said. And, and what we'll do is we'll put a link to that and any other related materials in our show notes so the listeners can check that out. And um. Kind of the last question I really wanted to ask was about going forward into the future. Do you think that there, this is quite a tricky question in my opinion, but um, that there are any other ways in which photography or even videos might be able to be used as a way to to support people with um, scars or any other kind of visible differences and to kind of promote acceptance and and open-mindedness, I suppose, of appearances? Oh, interesting. Oh, gosh, I think there is many different ways to approach that as there are creative brains on the planet. So lots and lots of ways. Yeah. Um, I think definitely seeing images is really helpful. Um, photographs and film have an enormous power to uh, reach people, uh, to provoke new ideas and change minds and hearts. So seeing scars in film and photography is very important. And one thing that one of the people in the film talked about is baddies. Baddies often have scars. Mm -hmm. And this is actually really unhelpful. You know, if you think about James Bond films, think about all the villains who've had scars. It's so common. Um, So we we, we present it as... Scars are presented quite negatively in popular culture. And we don't have to carry those expectations with us. But seeing people who are scarred in more normal roles in the good guy roles, that would be helpful. But just seeing more scars in general. Um, people carry a lot of body shame and body anxiety with them in all kinds of arenas. And scars is, is one of those. I have a few scars on my forehead. I was so self-conscious about them as a child and they've faded as I've got older. But if they were as prominent now as they were when I was little, I'd be okay with it now, probably because of all the work I've done 
with bodies and with images. So I think the more we see pictures, the more it helps to desensitise us, challenge our ideas and challenge stereotypes. So I think that's positive. Um, I think it's a great idea for people to use photography and video diaries for their own creative projects. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't know how people should do that, but I think it's a great idea for somebody with a scar or a visible difference. Um, yeah, I obviously, obviously I'm biased as a photographer and a filmmaker, but I think that it's the way forward to challenge ideas. Definitely, and I, I really like the idea, like you're saying, of just having more images out there on show and with a great point as well about going against all the kind of because I was thinking when you mentioned about um scars and baddies the 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 Lion King is a is a massive child Disney film and the yeah. the, the baddie in inverted commas in that is called Scar um so oh god yes that's actually his name yeah so I think yeah. it's quite interesting and that that is child very young children viewing these images and so that kind of tells you a lot about what we feed young young minds with regards to scars and um to what that might mean as a character um yeah and these are only subtle shifts only a few people need to do it you know you don't need you don't you you need one um childhood film character who has a a great story a positive storyline has a scar and then and then the next creator does it the next story writer does it yeah so i mean hope, hopefully this film can be part of i think a real cacophony of positive body image movements that's, that's going on in the world at the moment help to change change ideas a little bit yeah i i completely agree and like i said i'm really looking forward to to seeing that so um that was all for my questions. I do have one extra one, which is completely yeah. irrelevant to the topic, but it's a question mm -hmm. that we ask all our guests who um, give up their time to come on, on the podcast. So we have a cake morning every Thursday morning, um, yeah. and we always ask our guest speakers, what cake would you bring to our cake morning? Oh, what cake could I bring? It doesn't have to be a cake, by the way. It can just be a sweet-related good. We've had flapjacks before and things like that. <laughs> Oh, you'd be very unlucky if I baked you a cake. I am literally the worst cake decorator in the world. Um, what's inside isn't too bad, but as soon as I try and make it look pretty, it's an absolute disaster. Well. Um, oh, I'd say my specialty would be banana loaf. Banana, it's very forgiving. It's very forgiving. You can go with any texture and any look. It doesn't need to look pretty. So I would bring you a banana loaf. I, we would be very happy with a banana loaf. And many things go down a treat in this place. So we would, we would be super chuffed with that. <laughs> um, oh, thank you. No, yeah. So uh, that's all we have time for, Laura. So thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing, yeah, your, your new video and all the other expertise you have. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, that was really good to hear from Laura, and as Jade explained, the Scars short film will be released later this month, so March, mm -hmm. uh, so very soon, and when it does, we will add a link in the show notes, and as well as a link to Laura's website. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the amazing photos from Laura's photography project will be at our Appearance Matters 9 conference, so if you're coming to the conference, please keep an eye out for that, and if you're not, fear not, the links to these <laughs> materials, you're still able to see them, the links to these materials or how you can access them are all in the description box. Okay, brilliant, and that's all we have time for uh, for this episode, the power of photography. Exactly. Um, I, I wasn't actually throwing a pun there about it helping to present a bigger picture, but I actually couldn't quite formulate it that quickly. <laughs>
I think maybe there's some things left unsaid, Jade. From for for outside the podcast, for uh, um behind the podcast doors, we'll, we'll keep it to ourselves. <laughs> off mic, <laughs> off mic. I like that. Yeah. And whilst we're on mic still, um, we want to thank our guests, Hannah and Laura. And um, please join us next time in our next episode. Brilliant. Until then. 